Hello, you are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemill. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., which are held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I am speaking with Jacob Fisher, who is the Regional Vice President for Penrose, to discuss the Low Income Tax Credit Program and its eligibility requirements, benefits, and allocation process. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. So it's my pleasure to introduce him tonight, and Jacob, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation, and tonight we're going to talk about the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program, something that I have worked with quite a bit in my capacity with Penrose, and how it works, how you apply for it and how it's used to develop affordable housing. Awesome. Sounds great. Uh, so to start things off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about Penrose Properties and clearly you've had some success using what you're going to be talking about tonight. Um, so, so why don't you give us a quick background of the company and, and tell us about what you do? So Penrose is a uh, privately held real estate development company headquartered here in Philadelphia. Um, we have been in business for around 45 years and are active in multifamily housing development, the bulk of which is uh, either affordable, mixed income with some uh, small amount of market rate housing. Um, we're active now in 17 states. We have five different regional offices in addition to our headquarters in Philadelphia. And in all of those states, we are actively pursuing uh, low-income housing tax credit developments, public-private partnerships, and uh, really trying to be um, on the cutting edge of multifamily development. Um, and with the company, um, I am regional vice president. My territory includes um, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. And so I work with uh, teams of, of people um, doing developments in all of those locations. Cool. So what sort of success has Penrose seen specifically using low income housing tax credits? You know, can you give us any examples of, of projects or, you know? Yeah, like- I mean, I can give you a few in, in Philly. I mean, I think the really interesting thing about the low income housing tax credit is it's, it's a pretty flexible resource in that you can do lots of different kinds of projects with it. Um, family projects, uh, i.e. unrestricted um, uh, tenancy or uh, senior housing, which can be restricted to 55 and older or 62 and older, um, uh, special needs housing, where uh, the housing can include um, some service enriched environment for adults with developmental disabilities or formerly homeless. There's you know, a real range of flexibility of, of ways that this can work. And so if you are examples of developments that um, we have been involved with in Philadelphia. Um, I just uh, jotted down a couple here with 
mentioned. Um, uh, first of all, in the in in Germantown um, on Rittenhouse uh, Street, there's uh, Maple Village, um, which is a senior building. Um, we developed a property called uh, John C. Anderson in Center City, Philadelphia, with a nonprofit partner. Um, that was notable because it was the second LGBT-friendly senior building developed in the country. Um, we have done projects really in every neighborhood of the city. Uh, Falls Ridge, um, which is the redevelopment of the former Schuylkill, Hall, Schuylkill Falls um, housing uh, project owned by PHA, um, that's down sort of at the at the bottom of well, I guess across you know across from from Falls Bridge, um, off of Kelly Drive on Ridge Avenue. Um, so so that has both senior and family housing. Um, one of our earlier developments in Philly, which is a project which we developed in the 80s and then actually re refinanced and extended the affordability on, was a project in Southwest Philly called Regent Terrace, which was also a historic um, rehab. And then another historic property, which um, some people may have seen, is along um, Parkside, um, across across from the park. Uh, there's um, several uh, units of really incredible old historic housing, um, which we were able to redevelop um, years ago with uh, low-income housing tax credits and historic tax credits. So that's an example of the the types of deals that we've done in in Philly, and these projects all sort of range somewhere from 50 to 70 apartments in each in each development phase. Gotcha. Yeah. So that is that kind of the range of, of scale for, for low-income housing tax credit projects is 50 to 70 units? That tends to be there's there's like there's an efficient size to um, to these projects and and the resource which we'll get into, it's it's highly competitive to get. It's it's highly lucrative and there's you know, dozens of regulations around how it's how it's implemented, and one of them is the maximum amount that you can be awarded. And so, you know, there's an award amount that's made by the housing finance agency, which we'll talk about. Um, but it kind of sets up a project to really only work at a certain range. So, say from like the 50 to 70. Mm -hmm. Usually, actually now with construction costs being higher, it's sort of on that lower end, like. 50 to 60 units is the, the range of project size. Right. This isn't something that you could employ in like a, a multifamily unit renovation of an RM1 building or something like that. This is, no, it's, it's really, it's a really a larger scale program and the, to the overhead to, to apply for it, it really doesn't, it doesn't work for something of that, of that size. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, I think I might've cut out there for a second. I, I just asked what type of developers are most likely to arrive, derive the benefits from the program? Um, you know, more than just small scale or large scale, you know, what sorts of characteristics should people look for them in themselves to know that they're eligible? Well, I mean, the, the developments that, that tend to get funded in this competitive process have a, a good story to tell. Uh, they, you know, oftentimes will have a community partner that's part of the, the development team somehow, maybe a, a nonprofit or a church or a, you know, other religious group uh, may have access to a piece of land or a building that is you know, no longer has a use that they'd like to convert to the housing. Um, the pro properties would usually have access to services of, of some kind. And I mean that sort of internal to the building and external, externally, you know, close to, some you know, shopping or pharmacy or 
uh, you know, medical offices, some of the things that, that people can can walk to, I think, particularly for, for senior buildings. And then, and then internally, um, a part of our plan, really, with, with any of these uh, tax credit developments, there are services that are made available to people that live in the building. So in a senior building, you might have health screenings or financial counseling or, um, you, know, you know, other kind of healthy living types of programming and uh, in a family development, you might have you know, some of those things, plus some after school help for kids or homework help for that, you know, that type of parenting, uh, education type of classes, that, that type of thing, which is all coordinated by our support services uh, department. And so those, right. so those kinds of factors sort of get together to make for a project that has a good story and can be competitive for the region. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so so um, what, what other barriers to entry are there other than you, you hinted at a pretty big one earlier, which is capital, like available capital that a developer might have to invest. Um, what, what sorts of barriers to entry are there for, for people other than capital? Um, well, know? I think that the biggest, it, I think that, you know, it's, it's one of these programs where they're, you know, it, it sort of is inclined towards people with experience doing these projects. So how do you get experience doing these projects, right? Is always the, 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 the type of question, um, mm-hmm. which, which I have some ideas about. But I mean, in general, there are points in it in the competition for successful tax credit developments in your history that you manage, that you develop. So that is, you know, that is a barrier to entry for sure. Um, the cost of, of applying is, is, is a barrier to entry in order to apply you need some form of site control. Um, you, know, you don't necessarily don't necessarily need to own the land, but you need to have it tied up either in a, a purchase option or a agreement to enter into a ground lease. You know, some some type of, of document that gives you the time to apply. Um, your application will fare better if you have zoning in place. So that means that you've done some engineering and you've you know paid for an attorney and had you know gone gone to. To, to get your zoning unless, unless you have it by right, which of course is, is great. Um, and I mean, so that, so there's, you know, think, things like that are, you know, are, are, you know, they're, they're barriers to entry for sure. And, and I think the reason for them being in place is because the state, which is the steward of this resource, wants to make sure that if they are going to award this, you know, pretty lucrative resource to a project, that there's going to be a deal that gets done. So in order to even apply, you know, you need to have the other sources of funding lined up and committed. So if you've applied to the city for money, or if you apply to the state for money, or you know, wherever wherever the sources you have, um, you need to have those in place. A, a letter from an investor saying that they're going to buy the tax credits from you. A letter from a construction lender. So all all of the the pieces where you can realistically say to the state, hey, if you give me this tax credit award, I can go sell the credits, get the money, close the deal and build. And I can do that all within a two year time horizon. It's not a speculative thing of like, Hey, that's great. Now I got to go put the rest of the thing. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so then now can you tell me about the capital requirements, you know, other than like you said, experience and site control and, and all those other little caveats that people need to, to have, um, you know, under their belt before they even think about applying. Uh, what are the capital requirements of, of your money that you're going to invest? 
like to actually just the cost of applying? Is that the, the question? So yeah. well, I guess how much money do you need to, to have available to invest in or, or to, to be eligible for the, the tax credit program? Well, there's, there's, there's a couple of different ways to, to, to look at that. I mean, so to, to sell tax credits there, to sell tax credits, you, the investors are going to look for minimum liquidity provision. So mm-hmm. they're going to look for a minimum liquidity of a million dollars and a $5 million sort of net worth of the entity. So that's mm-hmm. sort of off the, off the bat is going to be a barrier for most most everybody. And I think the way to get around that barrier is through partnership. So, you know, when a nonprofit comes and says, Hey, we want to do one of these deals, they don't have that balance sheet to, to back up that, you know, that, that minimum liquidity requirement, those, those minimum financials, but we do. And so there's a, you know, there's a deal to be struck there. And then, I mean, and then there's just out of pocket costs for applying, you know, it's an architect, it's the zoning attorney and the plans and it's, a market study and a phase one environmental report. So all of those things cost. For people in the call who might not be at that point or don't think they're going to be at that point where you said like a $1 million or $5 million liquidity, can they reach out to organizations like Penrose or other larger institutions that, that do have that capital? Sure. I mean, I think the most interesting thing that, you know, to, to me is a is a site or, or not, you know, not necessarily a site that, that somebody controls, but even, you know, an idea of something that would work or some, mm-hmm. you know, insider information that, you know, something's going to go on the market that you could go talk to the person before the thing goes on the market. Like any, like that's the, that's the advantage. And that's why, that's why partnerships work so well in this context, like, you know, where we work in a lot of different places, you can't be local. In every, you know, in every place, I can't be local in Philly and local in Dover, New Jersey, and local in Wilmington, Delaware. You know, it's the, eventually you're, you're you're spread pretty thin. So having a local partner that you know has relationships that you know knows the elected officials that you know has has real credibility that that you can be simpatico with to 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 do a you know to do a project um, and come to an understanding with is is really invaluable. Yeah. Okay. So now let's let's uh, you know get into the, the the thick of it, and maybe you can just give us an overview of the tax credit program itself. Um, and I understand you have a PowerPoint which we're going to distribute to everybody tomorrow morning, which probably goes into the 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 like cost breakdown and and the financial details a little bit more specifically. But uh, what can you tell us about the format of the program and and what the structure is? Uh, you know, you mentioned a public private partnership, and that's kind of what a tax credit is. Um, what, what does it look like from a bird's eye view? Well, I heard you had a no PowerPoint after 7 p.m. rule, so we're <laughs> <Right>. here, here <laughs> to that and not, you know, not make people fall asleep with their, uh, their laptops. So, um, so the, the tax credit program, it was established as part of the 1986 Tax Reform Act, which was signed into law by President Reagan, and it was designed to create an engine for giving an incentive to private companies to invest in affordable housing. So you know, what a tax credit is, is a credit dollar for dollar against a company's, some individuals in some cases, but just think companies is easier, a company's tax liability. So meaning that if a company's got 
a million dollars in taxes to pay in a year and they have $100,000 in tax credits, they pay only $900,000 in their tax bill in that given year. And the way that that makes sense for the investor is they buy the tax credit at a discount. So they're buying that dollar of tax credit benefit for say 90 cents on the dollar or something like that. So they're getting a return on their investment and then they're also, their invested dollar is going to fund affordable housing. And it has been the most successful mechanism for developing affordable housing because of this public-private partnership nature. So what the public is doing is providing the tax credits to the, invest, to the developer to sell for money to build the project. And the developer is taking on the financial risk associated with building the development. So when we build, and Penrose has an affiliated management company, so we build and manage our developments. Um, when we build, we are providing a guarantee to our investor of completion. We're providing a guarantee of the tax credits, meaning that we're gonna deliver what we say we're gonna deliver in terms of the affordable units. We're providing a guarantee of um, uh, completion, I mentioned, and we're also providing a, um, an operating deficit guarantee in, in management. So what we're saying is we're guaranteeing to our investor that, hey, if we run this project and it's not making money, we're going to fund these operating deficits for some you know, prescribed period of time. And that period of time can only get started once we've leased up the building to income eligible people. So that's the, you know, that's, that's really what the, you know, the note of the nature of a public private partnership is the public resource into the private hands to provide this public benefit, which is the affordable housing development. Yeah. So, so what sorts of sites, you know, should people look for to, and to aim to use a LITC, LIHTC with it, you know, uh, I know you touched on earlier about like there's certain characteristics for different types of housing, like senior living or student housing or something. Yeah. What, 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 but like as, as far as like physical attributes of a property, what should people look at? Well, I mean, I think that we, and I actually want to circle back on, I think there were some more parts to the, but before we jump on that, I want to circle back to the, to the, the process a little bit more. Um, just, I think that was embedded in your other, in your other questions. So the, so the way in which, um, people, developers get tax credits as they apply to a state housing finance agency. So the program is an IRS program, so it's federal. And the benefit of the tax credits is allocated to the states through the, what are called the HFAs, the housing finance agency. So in, in Pennsylvania, it's the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency, um, which gets a, an annual allocation of tax credits, which is based on like $2 per person based on the last cent census. So that's how the allocation amount is derived for every state. And then for the, for the little states, Rhode Island and Delaware, there's a minimum allocation. Mm -hmm. So obviously the more tax credits the state gets, the more deals they can fund in a given year. It's a highly competitive resource. Typically there are three to four applications per award that, that come in. And, you know, as I said, these applications are very comprehensive, very laborious to, to put together, and they require all these different elements that, that I was alluding to before. So it's a major undertaking to, to 
to say, hey, here's, I have a site and I want to put this, this application together. So it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. It's a real, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big effort to put that together. And the, the rules for allocating the tax credits are governed by something called the, the Qualified Allocation Plan or the QAP, which is a document that the state puts out every, typically not every year, but every couple of years. And it's important that it not be every year because you really don't, with that level of investment and, and, and time and effort to, to do one of these deals, you really don't want the rules to change every year because you would you know, it'd be hard to decide what to, to, to go after. Um, so they put out the rules each year and then that's what governs, or that every, you know, every couple of years, and then that's what governs the competition. Um, and so once a year, there's an application process, they make their awards. And then when awarded, the developer has about two years to place the project in service, meaning that they have to close, build it, and get at least a temporary certificate. If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Jacob Fisher, Regional Vice President for Penrose, to discuss the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program and its eligibility requirements, benefits, and allocation process. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying our discussion. I think the question I asked before that was, was what sites should people look for to, to use the LIHCC, like um, the physical characteristics of it, um, you know, the, the type of housing, the, the locale, you know, what, what should people be looking for? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's, there's really a whole range of, I mean, even the property types that I mentioned earlier, there really is a, a range of, you know, of, of things that you can do with the project. So, you know, one, one deal I mentioned, John C. Anderson, is a six-story senior building that was built on about a third of an acre downtown on 12th Street between Spruce and Locust. And that's one, and that's one site that was a city-owned site in which we built that development. Um, you know, another one of those sites, Google Falls was a, or Falls Ridge, which was built on a Google Falls site, was really built on open ground that came from demolishing these, these high-rise towers. So that's, you know, that's the range. Plus there's historic. Um, Region Terrace that I mentioned it was a historic property, Parkside is a historic property where they abandoned and you know basically in you know, pretty close to ruin and they're able to back with the historic tax credit and the long-term housing tax credit. So it's really all over the map. I think what what you know we would be interested in are our sites, either you know, existing buildings that are you know probably upwards of 40,000 square feet just to, you know, to try to get the unit count into them. Oh, warehouse buildings can be interesting, but warehouse buildings are challenging because you have a whole middle section of, of the property of the middle of that floor plate that's hard to know what to do with in a, a residential context because all the units need to have windows. Um, old schools are, you know, something that we have done a lot of renovations of. So, so you know, old Old, you know, old, old historic schools, um, and then land. And you know, in an urban context, if you can go up, you know, the land doesn't need to be, as I said, the one that we did in Center City was on a third of an acre. So it doesn't need to be a ton of land, but it needs, you know, we need the ability to build up on it. I mean, if we were talking about the suburbs, I would say, yeah, we're looking for 
three acres or something like that, but that doesn't exist in an urban context. Yeah, sure. All right, so now people know, you know, what what the tax credit program is. They know what makes them eligible. Let's talk about the process of actually receiving one and, and what that looks like. You know, say you do apply, you get you you do all the due diligence that you have to. Like you said, you put up all that that valuable capital that you have. Um, what happens next? You know, what is the process of being approved to the project being completed look like um, with a house credit or a tax credit? Well, so the. The process in Pennsylvania usually looks like this. You apply for tax credits. It actually was just around in the last uh, month or so, in the beginning of March, we submitted a few applications. And usually between then and say the next four months or so, the, the agency reviews the applications and they ask a lot of questions. They really do a very, very thorough underwriting and and in Pennsylvania, and every state is a little bit different, but in Pennsylvania, they really are particular about the consistency of the application and the information that they ask for. So every number in the pro forma has backup. So if I say there's a $7,500 charge for a market study, I better have a letter from a market analyst saying that their market study is going to be $7,500. An architect letter telling me what their fee is going to be better match that budget. Um, I need to have a draw schedule to, if I'm going to, to back up my construction loan interest calculation, which is going to tie to how much construction loan am I drawing down every month and what's the rate and tie, so tying it back to uh, you know, what we're actually projecting to have. And so, so what, what they do over the next, you know, the, the, the month subsequent to the application is really pick apart that level of backup looking for, inconsistencies, um, and they can be you know, very, very, I guess, nitpicky might be the word, you know, like you're, you, you said the architect's phone number was this, but that only has six digits. So what's, what's the architect's <laughs> So but like really, really looking at things and really trying to make sure that, and again, this gets back to the, the notion of, is this a deal that can go forward? They're, they're looking at the consistency of what you're submitting. How well have you thought through all of the aspects of the, of the application that you've submitted and how good is the story that you're telling? And, and really the story needs to be consistent from the narrative that you're talking about to the numbers that you've presented, to the things that back up the numbers that you've presented, to you know, all of the other pieces of the, the plan, the presence of utilities and their availability and the social services plan that you've put into it and the community revitalization plan that your project appears in. So all of these things need to coalesce to, to tell a story and that's what they're you know, making sure happens. So in the event that if in, in the event that you get awarded, if you're lucky enough, so what happens then? So you get a letter from the agency and it has a you know, it says congratulations, you have an award and it's for this amount. And, and then it has a budget, which is an underwriting of your budget, which is typically a little different from whatever it is that you submitted. And then the process is like this. We go out to the market to try to sell tax credits to an investor that is going to come in at closing. And then we work on trying to close the deal, which is really the process of taking it from this point in time where we are with the application all the way through 
to being able to get building permits for the for the for the project. And that's typically the longest lead time that you have because you know, you're spending money to do architectural drawings. So you really try to spend the minimum that you need to in order to get to the tax credit application. So just a schematic set of drawings, not for construction, but you know, it would have dimensions on it, it would show where the utilities are, it would show the the wall section of you know what kind of insulation you're going to put in would have a narrative about what kinds of materials you're going to put on the exterior. So it's it's thought out, but it's not something you could hand to a contractor and say, okay, go ahead and build this. So really that process from getting the award is getting the design team together and releasing the full construction design process. And that's you know, that's the full set of architectural drawings that you can ultimately submit for, for your building permit. And that process will usually include a construction a contractor with us. We're not we're just developers. We're not, we don't also build. So we'll hire a general contractor. They'll be sitting at the design table with us to you know, help, help make sure what we're designing is going to make sense. It'll have a civil engineer at the table. So a whole bunch of people sitting around the design table and coming back to it and pricing it with subs and making sure that we're staying on budget, which is an incredibly challenging thing to do. Um, especially well, as everybody on the phone knows, and especially in the current construction uh, market where things are really, costs are really going up, it's, it's a challenge. Um, and then if you can get to the sort of finish line of the plans, have a construction number that can hold, you go to contract with your contractor, you go to contract with all of your investors and lenders and then close and then get under construction and go on your, on your way. Cool. So then what about after construction? Uh, how is money allocated after that? Is it, is it by draw or do they just fund the project from the start? So it's, it's a draw basis. Um, so these deals typically will have a minimum of three sources and often more sources included in them. So the, the biggest one would be the, the equity from the sale of the low-income housing tax credit, which usually is going to cover between 65 and 70% of the overall capital stack. Then there'll be you know, some kind of city or county or PHA or some other entity loan, uh, which would be subordinate to you know, your first position debt. Um, and then there'll be a mortgage from a bank, which will be just really a, a small, comparatively speaking, slice of the pie, typically 10% of the overall capital stack. And the reason for that is when you actually build this building and lease it up, you are renting to individuals that are going to be income qualified and your rents are capped. So it's not like you can kill it on the rents. You have a, you're, you're regulated in terms of what you can charge. And that will in turn limit the, the NOI, <laughs> limit the amount of debt that you can support. Um, and it's hard to, you know, these things run on a pretty slim margin. So it's hard to put too much debt on it. So all of those together, become your construction sources. Equity from the sale of tax credits doesn't all show up day one. It shows up over time. So you may, and this is all subject to your partnership agreement with your investor, um, that will you know, say 30% might come in closing and then another 30% might come in during the course of construction at different milestones, like 25% complete, 50% complete, 75% complete. And then another slug at completion. And then there's typically at least two more events that wait for money to come in. Um, one would be stabilization. So if you're going to be 
know, leasing up and then preparing to convert to your permanent loan to pay off your construction loan. Um, money might come in then. And then there's a final, final payment that comes in at something called 8609, which is 8609 is a IRS form, which is like the actual to the extent that a tax credit can be physical. It's the piece of paper that I don't know if it's paper anymore, but anyways, it's a piece of paper that the investor can staple to their tax returns and say, I have this, this tax credit, this tax credit. And that's the thing that the agents that you get from PHFA at the very end of the process, when they said, okay, you did exactly what it was that you said you were going to do and you submitted all the paperwork and all the backup. And now we're ready to issue this form. So the, the whole process from application to construction completion to lease up, 8609 can be, I mean, 8609 can be pretty delayed. So, I mean, it could be like two to four years that might happen on, you know, you get that last slug of money coming in from the, you know, from, from the investor. So it's a, it's a long horizon. And then the other pieces are coming in on a draw basis. So you have construction loan with a monthly draw, some of the other sources of funds will come in with a monthly draw, some are reimbursement. There's, you know, there's, there's a few different ways to come in. Yeah. So, and I apologize if you said this and I missed it, but what percent of the total projects cost does the low income or does, does the tax credit program actually fund? Um, so the, the, the tax credit equity will fund you know, somewhere between 65 and 70% of the project. And that, and that's, Going all the way back to one of the first things you asked me, that's of a 50 to 60 unit project, like that ideal size thing that I was talking about. It's ideally sized to try to fund 70% of some deal. So I could bring you a hundred unit project and that, that resource is not gonna scale up. It's gonna stop because there's a cap on what the, the state agency will give you. And so that is like the, you know, the more units, not, not necessarily the more benefit that like it's going to stop at a certain point. But yeah, that, that makes sense. It's got that 50 to 60 or 50 to 75 unit range. That's like the sweet spot of, of where the program works the best. And that, that makes sense uh, the way you explained it. Um, and I think you said this, this stat as well, but how many or what percentage of applications are approved? I think you said that like three or four out of right. however many. Uh, it's, it's going to be more like 25%. So like one out of four or one out of three to four or something like that. So 25 so it's it's highly competitive because it's as lucrative as, as it is, but it comes with many many strings too. Yeah, sure, cool. So before we move into the Q and A, I just kind of want to get your personal take on things. And uh, you know, as you are vice president for Penrose, so obviously you have some sort of. A good track record of, of getting these uh, tax credit projects going and, and going from an idea to, to completion. Uh, what tips and tricks do you have for people in this call who, who are looking to do this maybe in the, in the way future, in the short future? Um, you know, what, what, what can you tell us that, that the you know, eligibility requirements aren't going to tell us? Is there any tricks of the trade you've learned along the way? Well, I mean, I, I think that the, I mean, this is a, this is a program for, for this Jumpstart is a program for entrepreneurs. And, and you know, one, one time way back in the day, Penrose was an entrepreneurial, you know, enterprise of, you know, working out, a, you know, a couple of people working out of somebody's bedroom to, you know, to, to start putting these deals together. And I think in a lot of ways, we're in 
know, the right place at the right time when the tax credit program came into being in 1986, because, you know, it was something new in the marketplace and people were just figuring it out. Um, but we've always tried to maintain the entrepreneurial spirit in some way. And it's, it's harder to do the bigger you get, but you try to empower all of our people with, you know, go find that deal, go, you know, go, go figure this out. You know, there's a problem, you know, try to solve it and then bring in somebody else from the office who can help you solve it because they've solved one like this before. Um, but we really respect that, that spirit. And so I think that what I've described is a program that it's hard to just wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think I want to do tax credit deals. I'm going to go and find a site and, and do it. But it's a program where if you know the players in the, in the market who are doing this and you have an idea, you have a site, that's a, you know, that, that's, that's something that you can, you can call me, you know, you can call you know, whoever is in this in the industry and, and run it by them and, you know, and kick the tires on it and, and evaluate it. Um, you know, a great way to obviously like bring somebody a, a real estate opportunity to learn, um, you know, how the process works and, and, you know, maybe even to, to, to figure out a, a way that you can partner to, you know, to, to receive some benefit for it. I think that I think the issue is for smaller entrepreneur that's doing like a high churn business, build a house, sell it, build a house, sell it. There's a lot of waiting involved in a tax credit program. So, yeah, I think I think it could be one egg in the basket as opposed to, to all of them. I mean, the other the other maybe more obvious way is you know come come work for Penrose. I mean, if you know if this is you know like we're we're interested in in hiring um, folks. I mean, we're so constantly doing it at different levels of our of our development staff, and um, you know I think that coming to the table with, hey, I don't, you know, I haven't done this kind of project before, but I've <laughs> rehabbed a bunch of houses and I understand the construction project and I can put together a pro forma. Well, those are a lot of building blocks. And so, you know, there's, there's Penrose and there's, there's plenty of other firms too that do this kind of work. And, you know, that, that could be a, an avenue as well for getting to know the, the business. That concludes my conversation with Jacob Fisher, where we discussed the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program and its eligibility requirements, benefits, and allocation process. Next week, I'll be speaking with attorney Tariq Brooks about the basics of corporate formation and how to set up your LLC. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. If you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jumpinar. And if you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org to see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio WRGU 92.9 FM. And be sure to tune in next week.